If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to continue our study of the book of Colossians this morning. We'll start at verse 16. In Sunday school this morning, we were talking about uh, Reformation, uh, the Reformed faith. And we were talking about, and Garland was teaching us on uh, the nature of the Reformed faith and what we hold to as a church. Um, one of the things that came about, or one of the reasons why the Reformation happened, uh, well, the, the, probably the main reason, the most obvious reason, is for uh, the preaching of justification by faith. That is, through faith in Jesus Christ, it's the only way that man can be saved. Uh, and that's probably the thing that we remember the most out of the Reformation uh, so that's one of the obvious things, but not so obviously. Uh, and uh, found in chapter 20 of the Westminster Confession of Faith is an entire chapter devoted to uh, what we call the liberty of conscience or freedom of conscience. Uh, the men who uh, started and led the Reformation recognized uh, that the church of the Middle Ages had bound the conscience of men so that they didn't have freedom in Christ uh, and they led the Reformation because they saw this as a huge um, distraction away from Christ. That because men were bound in their conscience and they were not free to worship God the way that God intended, and also in their life and the way they lived their life, they were bound, uh, they didn't have freedom. Uh, and so one of the primary principles of the Reformation is freedom, freedom in Christ. Today in this passage, Paul is going to teach us more about freedom, and he's going to give us two more commands. We saw two commands last week, and this week we're going to see two, two more commands uh, from the Apostle Paul. Paul wants you to be captive to Christ. We saw that last week. He says, you are Christ, you're captive to Christ, and because you're captive to Christ, then you have freedom. And I wonder if that is your Christian experience, that it's one of freedom. I hope that it is, and we're going to see more about that today. Uh, Let me just remind you as we get started here that uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not what you do or what you don't do. And Paul makes that explicit here in this passage today. The gospel is not what you do or do not do. It's not about you. Uh, And whenever people seek to bind our conscience in terms of what we do or don't do, if it's apart from the scripture, then they're actually distracting us from Christ. And Paul is, uh, in no uncertain terms, is saying, let no one distract you from Christ. Let no one disqualify you. Let no one pass judgment on you. If you are in Christ, then you are free. You're captive to Christ and you're free. Let me read this to you. We're going to start at verse 16. We're really only going to cover uh, through verse, uh, verse 19, but I'll read all the way through verse 23 for us. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 uh, through 23. Hear God's good and kind word this morning. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are the shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without being reasoned, without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, 
Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teaching. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding this word. Pray with me. Our great Father, we thank you for giving us this word, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand it, that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be our focus, that he would come to the fore, that everything else would go to the back, that we would not look at the shadows, but we would look at the substance who is Christ. Father, we thank you uh, for the freedom that we have in Christ to enjoy this world, and I pray, Lord, that you would give us the ability to evaluate our lives, to see if we live in freedom or if we have been enslaved and captive held captive by something else. Lord, we thank you for the freedom again that we have in Christ, and we pray that he would be preached among us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to look at the uh, two commands that Paul gives here. Uh, First of all, he talks about the command, uh, the first command is in verse 16. Look there, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon Sabbath. Uh, I've entitled this just Diet in Days. Okay, diet and days. That's the first way for you uh, to remember this command. He says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in regards to your diet or the days that you celebrate or worship. All right, so diet and days, first of all, in verses 16 and 17. And then secondly, we're going to see, don't let anyone disqualify you or umpire against you in terms of rules and regulations. So that's the second point. First, diet and days. Secondly, rules and regulations. Hopefully, you'll be able to remember those. Diet and days and rules and regulations. First of all, the first command that Paul gives, he says, let no one pass judgment on you in question of what you eat, your food and your drink, or with regard to festivals or new moon, uh, new moon or Sabbath celebrations. Uh, what is he talking about here? Well, clearly there is one person in mind that Paul has. This person is the false teacher or one of many false teachers, but there's one person for sure that Paul is thinking about. And you can see that there. Typically when Paul writes against false teaching or false teachers, he uses a very general or plural uh, term. But here he says, let no one. And so apparently there's one person that had come into the Colossian church And they had begun to teach individuals uh, things other than Christ. And you see that also in verse 18, let no one. Very clearly, there's one person in mind, a false teacher had come in and he began to distract from Christ. What were the things that he was teaching? Well, we see here that he was teaching about Old Testament food restrictions. The Old Testament food restrictions. The Jewish people had a very restrictive diet. You can go back and read this in Leviticus chapter uh, 11. Uh, They could only eat certain things. We're not going to go through all of those things, but they couldn't eat things like catfish or crawfish, right? So uh, they couldn't, they would not come to the crawfish bowl we're going to have later because Jewish people were not allowed to, to eat that. And this man had come in to the Colossian church and he said, in order for you to be a true Christian, a holy Christian, to be fully Christian, you must Watch watch out what you eat. Specifically, only eat the things that were allowed according to the Old Testament law. Uh, the problem with that is uh, that the Old Testament restrictions, food restrictions, had been removed from Christians. That God came to Peter in the book of Acts very clearly. And if you remember this point where Peter had a vision 
And God told Peter, rise, kill, and eat whatever you see. And Peter said, I'm told God, I'm not going to eat anything unclean. And God clearly said, don't call what I've called clean, unclean. And God lifted the food restrictions in the book of Acts. Well, now this man had come back and he said, in order for you to be a Christian, you must follow these food laws. Just one note about why those food laws are there in the Old Testament. You were not saved by keeping the food laws. But in fact, you obeyed the law because you had already been saved by God. It was a response of faith to God. And then what you did by keeping those laws is you showed the rest of the world that God was holy and separate. Those food laws in the book of Leviticus, and indeed all of the book of Leviticus, is a way to evangelize and teach people about the good news of God. Let that blow your mind for a moment, that those Old Testament food restrictions were a way to show that God is holy, you are not, and you need, in order to have a relationship with God, you need a mediation. And that's why later on in the book of Leviticus, you get the sacrifices. Okay, The food laws were meant to evangelize the people around them. Well, this person was saying, in order for you to be saved, in order for you to be a Christian, you must observe the food laws. So, uh, and so he says, don't let anybody pass judgment on you in question of what you eat. Because you're Gentiles, because you don't follow those restrictions, you don't have to. They're not there for you to follow them. And it doesn't matter what you eat for your salvation. And then he also says uh, about Old Testament celebration and festivals. Look again at the end of verse 16. Or with regard to festivals or new moons or Sabbaths, there are three categories of things that Paul gives there. First of all, festivals. There were various major festivals that were celebrated all through the Old Testament calendar. Uh, Jesus celebrated those. And Paul says here, don't let anyone pass judgment on those festivals. In other words, uh, this person had come in and he said, in order for you to be a true Christian, you had to keep all of the Old Testament festivals which I think is kind of laughable because that's hard to do in Colossians. You had to go all the way back to Jerusalem. Uh, He probably wasn't doing that, but you get the picture of someone that said, look at me, I'm observing the festivals. Look at how great I am. And Paul says, don't worry about those festivals. He also says, don't worry about the new moon celebrations. This would have been a monthly celebration, a monthly reminder. Don't worry about those things. And then also the weekly Sabbaths. Now, What he was saying was, you must observe the weekly Sabbaths the way that I do it. You must observe the new moon uh, celebrations the way that I do it and the festivals the way that I do it. And you get the picture of someone who said, you must follow me in order to be a true Christian. And he puffs himself up and puts himself forward and says, I am the only true Christian. And in order for you to be a true Christian, you must follow me in what I do. But Paul says in no uncertain terms, let no one condemn you or pass judgment upon you on your celebration of these things. Why? Because Christ has set you free. Look at what he says in verse 17. These things, the Old Testament food laws and those celebrations, those festivals that were given, are the shadows. They are the shadows of the things to come. But now the substance is here. The substance belongs to Christ The Old Testament diet and days are the shadows, and the reality is that they pointed them to Christ, their need for Jesus. They were the things that were the signs that merely pointed the way for the coming Messiah. And Paul says, don't observe those things or follow those things because the substance of the thing is here, and that is that Jesus is now here. So it's kind of like this. Um, uh, at one point, I had the opportunity to go sailing. 
um, sailing in the British Virgin Islands. A uh, man paid for my trip there, and I was very blessed to have that, uh, that sailing trip. Uh, since that time, this place that we, that, well, that they had rented the um, sailboat from, the moorings, they send me these calendars or these, um, they send me calendars and they send me pamphlets to remind me about this trip. And these pamphlets are these beautiful thick catalogs that have all of these pictures of all of these great places that you can go and go sailing. Um, and we get these in about every six months and I, and I take them out and I look at these things and I remember how great this sailing trip was. Well, it would be like this, uh, what Paul's saying here, that the catalog is the shadow of the trip. And at some point, if I get to go sailing on one of those trips again, that I would bring that catalog back with me and on the deck of the sailboat as I'm sailing in the British Virgin Islands, instead of looking at the, the scenes around me, I would pull out the catalog and I would look at that, forgetting to look about the beautiful things. And that's what Paul is saying here, that if you go back to those Old Testament restrictions, if you follow those things, what you're doing is... You're missing the substance of the thing. It's like going on vacation and looking at pictures while you're on vacation. Enjoy the substance of the thing while you're there. We have Christ. Let go of the pictures. Now, if you leave that place, then, of course, go back to the pictures. But the good thing about us and Christians, as Christians, we never leave Christ because Christ is always with us. So we don't go back and look at the pictures of Christ. We simply believe in Jesus. All right. Now... Part of that, some of you hear and we say, well, then why do we need to study the Old Testament? Well, because Christ studied the Old Testament and he said, go back and learn about these things and learn about why I am the one who was to come. And there's other reasons for that. But don't go back and celebrate and hold to these things because we don't need them any longer. They pointed to Christ and when we have Christ, we don't need to hold on to those things any longer. A reminder to us then is that Christ captives are free from the restrictions of the Old Testament. And this is the principle that comes out of this, that we are to enjoy the world that God has created and we're to enjoy the freedom that Christ has given us. Think about world religions. Think about the way that the world operates. We live in a world that is very, very concerned about diet. You don't have to be a Christian to be concerned about diet, but you think about the way that the world presents to you the things you can and can't eat, okay? We are not allowed to eat anything with gluten in it, okay? Everything in the store shelves said gluten-free, gluten-free, gluten-free. There's even gluten-free bread, which is essentially, bread is gluten. I mean, that's the whole point of bread is to have gluten. But the world says you can't eat gluten, you can't have gluten, don't eat gluten, stay away from gluten. There are all these things that the world says you can't have that are dangerous, that aren't good. So that's the world's view of it. The world is very restrictive of what you can and cannot eat. And then there are people who say, well, don't listen to that and stay away from anything that says you can't have, or you can't have gluten. So eat all the gluten you want and all these things. Well, that's just the world and the world, where the world operates. But think about Muslims. Think about Islam. What do the Islam say? You can't eat pork. You can't eat anything that basically tastes good, right? Same restrictions in Judaism. And you say, well, well, that's you know, monotheistic religions, right? But what about Hinduism or Buddhism? Well, guess what? In Buddhism, you have to be a vegetarian because eating meat in Buddhism and Hinduism is a sin. You can't do it because those have life in them, right? All of these world religions say you can't eat, you can't eat, you can't enjoy the world. You have to watch out. Why? Because if you do, you won't be saved. And Christianity and Paul says... No, the whole point is that you were given this life to enjoy it and to have freedom in Christ. There are very few commands to Christians about how we should live our lives, the things we should eat 
and the things we shouldn't eat or drink. There are very few commands given to us about the way that we should worship. Do you recognize that? There are very few commands. And no one has the right, apart from what the scriptures say, to say that you must worship God in this way or you must only eat or drink in this way, right? Scripture is the thing that determines what we do and how we do it. That man does not have the right to bind the conscience of anyone. And the only place that we have that we can bind anyone's conscience is whenever Scripture does it. There is freedom in Christ. And that should be very liberating for us as Christians. It should be very liberating to hear you have very few rules and restrictions on your life. But I wonder if that's your experience of Christianity. Or have you come to Christ believing that you have to dress a certain way, act a certain way, um, eat certain things, drink certain things, or stay away from drinking certain things, um, that in order to be with God's people, you have to be a certain way. And that's what it means to be a Christian. When all over the place in the scriptures we read that we have freedom in Christ. Wonderful freedom. Wonderful freedom. So Paul says, avoid those things. Unless Scripture says to avoid those things. Unless Scripture says that we don't have freedom. But apart from that, we have lots and lots and lots of freedom. So those are the diet and the days that Paul says to watch out for. What about the rules and the regulations in verses 18 and 19? He says, let no one disqualify you. That's the word umpire there. The word umpire disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And what Paul is saying there is, uh, here's the second command, don't let anyone umpire against you by doing what? Requiring two things. Look at what he says, requiring asceticism. What is asceticism? Asceticism is, the definition is, of asceticism is severe self-discipline. Don't let anyone disqualify you from Christ by requiring severe bodily self-discipline. And this is the person that would stand up and say, in order to be a true Christian, you must avoid all passions and pleasures that you cannot enjoy life. Asceticism would be like the way that monks live their lives and saying, in order for you to be a Christian, you must not eat or drink or talk or stay away from certain things in order to be a true Christian. And Paul says, avoid that. Avoid asceticism because that disqualifies you from Christ. And secondly, he says, um, requiring certain type of worship. Look at what he says. My translation says, um, requiring worship of angels. Some of your translations are going to say, worship taught by angels. That can work either way according to the Greek and the way the Greek uh, is translated. It's either the worship of angels or worship taught by angels. So what was happening here is this person was saying uh, essentially this, I worship better than you because I either worship angels or I have a special relationship with certain angels out there and they have taught me how we're supposed to worship. And so follow me in, the, in this kind of worship. And so he says, you must follow me. And what happens because of that? What does he do? Paul says that he, is, he goes on and on about his details, the details of visions. Just for a moment, think about people in your life and the things that they put forward before you. What do they do? They go on and on about themselves. They go on and on about their experiences, specifically in terms of the spiritual experiences they have. And they say that in order for you to be a true Christian, you must follow what I do. And he says all that does is it puffs them up without reason. 
So this person had come into the Colossian church and he said, listen to what I do, watch what I do. I've been taught by angels. And that sounds super spiritual. It sounds really good. But all he's doing is he's pumping up his spiritual experience over the word of God. And he's saying, you must follow me. And he says, my knowledge is better than your knowledge. And if you want to have my knowledge, you must follow me. You must obey their way, and their way is always the right way. This is very dangerous in the church. Uh, The church always needs to be on guard against this because man's religion is all about the self. And Jesus, or Paul says that here. He says um, uh, that all this does is, and all, all man's religion does is, it pumps up the self. It makes the man look good or individuals look good, but it pushes Christ down. Man, man's religion is all about what you do, but Christ's religion is all about what Christ does and what he has done. And he says, what does he do after he puffs him up? He does not hold fast to the head, that is to Christ. And he says, from, the whole, for, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So once again, he's saying, watch out for this type of individual. Watch out that they don't distract you or disqualify you from Christ by pumping up their spiritual experience over and above what the Scriptures says. Asceticism, avoiding certain things in order to be a Christian, or a false worship that isn't informed by the Scriptures. False teachers tend to do these three things, and we see that here in this passage. They exalt themselves over Christ. They exalt themselves over Christ and they say, look at what I do, don't look at what Christ has done. Secondly, they tend to focus on all the peripheral things, all of the secondary things. There are lots of things in this word, in God's word, uh, that uh, have a lot to do with Christianity and all of it is God's word and all of it is important. Old Testament and New Testament. But what false teachers tend to do is they tend to take one little bit of God's word and they focus on that. To the, to the extent that they don't ever talk about Christ or Christ becomes secondary. You see examples of this in churches that are always talking about end-time prophecies. Are the end times important? Absolutely. Do we talk about the end times? Absolutely, because Jesus talks about the end times. But what a lot of churches and false teachers will do is they will take sensational things and they will raise them up to the very fore and they'll say, this is what Christianity is all about and that is end-time prophecy while forgetting the whole point that the Bible is about Jesus Christ and what he has done. That while we need to be prepared for the end times, absolutely, the best way to be prepared is to be found in Christ. And so you go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and you say, am I in Jesus? False teachers, they focus on the peripheral and the secondary without focusing on Christ. Um, and then thirdly, what they do is, what, the result of that is a cancerous type of growth. Uh, they bring out contention. They bring out all sorts of deadly type of growth. And while there might be lots and lots and lots of growth, it's a deadly type of growth. It's a cancerous growth. Cancer grows very rapidly. Cancer grows and can take over the whole body if not checked. And false teachers, you will see lots of growth. A lot of false teachers, especially in the United States, have lots and lots and lots of followers. Joel Osteen is a prime example of that. Uh, this morning he has hundreds of thousands of people tuning in to follow his preaching and teaching. What does he preach and teach? He primarily preaches and teaches about your best life, what you can do to make your life better. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about your life being better. It's about Jesus Christ being exalted in the midst of your terrible suffering in your life. 
It's good news because it's not about you. It's not about your salvation. It's not about what you do. It's about Christ. Okay? False teachers are like that. They take away and distract from Christ. What do true teachers of Christ do? Well, we're told here, what do they do? First of all, they exalt the head. They exalt Christ. Christ is at the center and the fore of everything that they do. It's not about the teachers themselves. It's not about what the people do. It's about Christ and what he does. Secondly, they nourish the body with Christ. Look at what look at what he says. From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. They nourish with Christ. Again, Hopefully, in the ministry that we do here, we're always talking about Jesus Christ, that He is the one that's at the fore, because it's only through Christ that we're going to see the results uh, of godly growth. And that's the third thing that we see. Um, You expect godly growth, organic and natural, healthy growth. It may not be very large, it may not be noticeable, but it will be healthy. I see that with Tiger all the time. Every week, he is growing. Um, And from one moment to the next, you don't quite know it, but... Sometimes you pick him up and he weighs about a pound more from one night you put him to bed and the next night you wake him up and he's heavier. And then he's growing more and more and more. That's a natural and organic growth. Is he large? Absolutely not. Although he can distract from everything we do here at this point. But it's a very natural growth. Why? Because it's organic. It's healthy. And what we should expect in churches that are preaching Christ is a natural and a healthy growth. Because it's a growth that's nourished and knit together by Christ. And that's why Paul says it grows with a growth that is from God. Uh, Our hope here at Faith Presbyterian Church is that we would grow. It is my hope that we would see more and more people attending on Sunday morning, all for the sake of having Christ glorified. Uh, The only way that people are going to know about Christ is if they hear the preaching of God's word from his word. It's something that we talk about at session meetings once a month. It's something that I talk with some of you about how we can get more people here. Because I want people here not so that they see me or they hear from me. I don't care about that. Uh, It's got to be about Jesus Christ. If we preach Christ, then we should expect to see growth. So here's an opportunity for us to evaluate how we're doing. And just in conclusion, um, let me ask you a few questions. How are we doing at Preaching Christ? I hope and pray that you are praying for me that in my study of the word that I actually have Christ coming out of everything that I say and I do. That I hope that you're praying that that would be the case because that's the only way that you're nourished is if I am nourished in Christ and preaching Christ back to you. Pray for me as I do that. Pray that my hope would be in Christ and not in my ability to speak because if that's the case, then we're all in trouble, right? (laughs) All right, so... um, Pray for me. Think about those things. But also, what is your Christian experience life? As you leave this place, as you go from here, you're going to go out into the highways and the byways of the world. What do people think about your life? Do they have a, is it marked by joy and freedom? Or is your life marked by bitterness and resentment? Christ has nothing to do with bitterness and resentment. If you see bitterness and resentment in your heart, there's a problem in your view of who Christ is. If you see freedom and joy, then you understand and know who Christ is. What is your heart like? Are you bitter or resentful? If you are, then go back to Christ. I don't have a list of things for you to do to say, this is how you do it, go back to Christ. Think upon Christ, think upon his sacrifice for you. Uh, Thirdly, what are your Christian teachers like? 
You come here on Sunday morning, you'll hear me preach. Maybe you'll come to the Bible school, or I'm sorry, the, the, the Bible study. Maybe you'll come to Sunday school and you hear these things. But whenever you leave the, the, this place, whenever you go and you turn on the TV or you turn on the radio, what are your Christian teachers like? What are they exalting? What are they talking about? Are they talking about Christ or are they talking about the peripheral things? And then lastly, have you tasted Christ? Have you heard the gospel? The gospel of Jesus Christ in his person and work, life, death, and, and resurrection. That in Christ we have freedom. Or are you going back to the shadows? One of the shadows would be, have you come here this morning because you think that by coming to church, you have, can mark something off a list that makes God happy? That's a shadow you don't have Christ. Christ is the only thing, is the substance that we need. Have you tasted Christ? Do you know him? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people marked by freedom and joy. I pray, Lord, that that would not be an opportunity for license or licentious behavior or going wild because of our freedom, but freedom that would drive us back to the cross. We thank you, Lord, for this amazing grace that we have, that we have your son, Jesus Christ, and I pray that all of us would know him, would taste him, would believe in him, that bitterness and resentment would go away, that our joy would be evident to all who see us, and that we might proclaim Christ in all that we say and we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.